Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 178. I have had a problem getting the episodes posted to Apple. I don't know what's going on. So we are recording live, of course, on YouTube. I've been doing that for a month or so now. Um, Make sure you subscribe to YouTube so that uh, you can get a hold of these podcasts and the information ahead of time. Also, if I ever have a glitch like I am having right now with Apple, which I'm sure I will get figured out, but I've reached out to them. I haven't heard back, but if I ever have this glitch again, recognize you can always get these podcast episodes on YouTube. You can also find them at my website at delanemd.com. So if you're new to the uh, episode or the podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. I am a board certified family med doctor and a certified life and weight coach. And I merge those two skill sets to help people find strategies to living a naturally healthy life. If that's what you're interested in, you are in the right place. Today, we are going to talk, it's the end of the year. Last week, we talked about kind of goal setting and how to create what we want and the steps that I recommend for that. So if you need to go back and check out episode number 177, don't you worry, it hasn't posted to Apple yet, but it is, again, it's on my website and it's in YouTube and at DelaneMD on YouTube. So look that up if you're interested in that. But today I want to talk about the, the promises that we make to ourselves, right? The having our own back the skill really of learning to trust ourselves to make the decision that aligns with our long-term goals and our best interest, our greater good, not just the decision in the moment that really is an instant gratification, easy decision. Before we get started, as I have started doing in the end of 2022 is mentioning that if you are medicated for your type 2 diabetes, you need to be very careful as you start to make these changes that I recommend in this podcast. You have been medicated because of the way that you have previously eaten. If you change the way that you are eating now, you will need to change your medications. If you don't change your medications, you could get very sick depending on the medication that you are on. So recognize if you are medicated for your type 2 diabetes, you need to have a very clear conversation with your medical provider, the person who's prescribed these medications, letting them know what you intend to do and making sure that you have a plan for when your sugars start to go low, that you have an opportunity or a plan or an avenue to call them, to contact them or contact somebody in their office in order to get guidance on your medications. It is very important when you are medicated and you make these changes, you can get very sick. And so it's really important that you have a way to do that. Certainly in my group, that's what I help people do. I'm able to give them guidance directly. They have a line to me directly for them to be able to have some information. I never make medication adjustments. I do not take over medical care, but I do give them safe avenues for managing blood sugar changes once they start making these dietary changes and let them know what they need to do to stay safe. So recognize it is very important that if you are medicated for your type 2 diabetes, that you have somebody to guide you through this process as you need less and less meds, okay? So be very careful if you're making these changes and make sure you have a good conversation and a good line of communication with your medical provider. Coming up, there is the five-day training. It starts next Monday, so that's December 26th, 2022. I typically only do a women's group this at the end of this year, I am doing a men's group. It will be um, 
similar, very, very similar, but I'm not sure exactly how the daily videos will be presented. So email me if you are interested in registering for this. You can email delane at delanemd.com. I will get you on the email list and we'll get you registered. Whether you're a gentleman or whether you're a woman, it doesn't matter to me. Just get an email to me so you can start this training session in that week between Christmas and New Year's so you can have a clear idea of how you want to go forward in 2023 so it can be a diabetes-free year for you. This could be the last year that you have to deal with diabetes, and that would be the most amazing thing ever. Also, follow me on social media. You can find more information about things that, you know, different training um, opportunities that I have, different informational uh, seminars that I have. You can find me at Delane MD on both Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Again, uh, all the podcasts are being recorded and broadcasted on YouTube. So you can always find the information there and can find it quicker on YouTube. Lastly, if you're finding this information useful, please rate the podcast. When you do this, the algorithm, whatever that magic is, allows other people to get access to have this podcast placed in front of them so that they can also hear this message, hear this information, find out that they can live without type 2 diabetes, and they can start to make those changes also. So if you're finding this information helpful, please rate my podcast review my podcast so that others can hear about this. Okay, so let's dig into this idea of trust, of trusting in yourself, of how do you build that trust? This is a really complicated topic, and I think it's complicated because the stories that we tell ourselves that create the mistrust are very, they're varied is really what it comes down to. I am shocked at how innovative and resourceful and um, creative, the human brain can be when it is interested in guiding us to instant gratification, when it is interested in avoiding the difficult work. Our brain can be incredibly creative in making it seem like the right answer is the easy answer and not the hard answer. And I think that's why this is complicated topic. I feel like I've done podcasts on this before. I feel like um, I keep coming back to it because I keep hearing from clients different ways that their brain creates mistrust and confusion and leads us down a path that keeps us in the direction of instant gratification versus keeping us on a path that's in alignment with our greater goals. So women come to me frequently with a belief or a worry that they're not going to do the damn thing. They're not going to stop eating the food. They're, they can't seem to avoid it. And they really almost present it in a very out of their own experience, out of their own agency, out of their control, eating of foods. And this was certainly me too. I was there, right? I knew when I ate M&Ms all afternoon long that I felt horrible, that I felt awful. And in the mornings, I would wake up with the promise and renewed, right? I'm not going to eat the M&Ms today. I'm not doing it. I felt awful yesterday and I'm not doing it this time. All of the thoughts, I know better. This is bad for me. This is keeping me from the outcome, the goal that I want. 
this is my blog. I need to figure it out. I want it to be different. All of these thoughts came up for me with the M&Ms. These are the same thoughts that I hear women coming to me with when they can't figure out how to stop eating the foods, how to stop snacking on the thing, how to stop eating foods that is unnecessary for them biologically. They cannot figure out how to stop doing it. And these are the thoughts that are in our brain about it. We start our days with these intentions, with a promise. I'm not going to do it today. I know this is the problem. I'm not doing this anymore. But as the day progresses and we're, I mean, it starts in the morning. We're herding kids out of the house. We're getting ourselves out of the house. It's We're slow getting out of bed. We're trying to load up everything that we need to bring. We're trying not to forget anything. We're trying to make sure our kids aren't forgetting anything. And then we get out of the house and we're driving. We have inopportune traffic lights. We have other drivers. You know, I deal with this like road, road rage. It's not really road rage, but I definitely deal with a lot of uh, manual thoughts. I have expectations of how other people should be on the road. And when they don't do it, I get in a funk about it. I definitely have that experience. So traffic for me, and it's the first thing in the morning, right? Like that definitely would launch my day into stress and anxiety and frustration. But we have, you know, slowed traffic. We have other drivers to deal with. We have unexpected road closures. This happened to me dropping my son off at school before Christmas break. I went to, I dropped him off at school and went back to get on the highway. And there had been construction, gosh, there's been construction in that intersection for years, it seems. But they had closed my exit, like entirely closed my exit. So suddenly I had to reroute and didn't know. And of course that put me on a time crunch. These are the things that these are the accumulation of stressors that occur, right? Then you get to work and there's schedules. For me, there were patients, there were labs to review. There were, you know, I had to get those, um, I had to report those results to my patients. I had to determine a follow-up plan. For other folks, there are projects, there are tasks, there are deadlines, It's the things we're paid to do. No matter how much we love our job, there's a reason somebody exchanges money to get us to do it. If it were fun, we would be paying somebody else to do it, right? Like there's a reason amusement parks cost us money. They're fun and we have a good time. We pay to have that experience. When we're doing a job, somebody pays us to get a certain outcome, right? To get a certain result from us. So no matter how much we love our job, there's an element of stress that we accept. It's the reason that we're paid to do the thing. And that payment exchange is because of the hard part, right? I loved working with patients. I love to this day, I work at, you know, I work part-time at a clinic at a university. I love my patients, but there were those patients that I really enjoyed because they wanted to make the changes. They wanted to do the lifestyle modification. They were really invested in their health. I loved working with them. But then there were definitely patients who, no matter what, they like could not tolerate the unpleasantry, right? Whether it was they needed to stop smoking, but they couldn't tolerate the discomfort of going without a cigarette, or then they'd start on a medication to help them stop smoking, but then they couldn't tolerate the side effects of the medications, right? Those patients were really challenging. They are really challenging to deal with. It just seems like there's constantly a roadblock coming up. And I 
found that to be a challenge. That was why somebody had to exchange cash to get that patient seen, right? Like the ones that wanted to make lifestyle modifications, man, I was gung-ho. I would have done that for free. But of course, there's a reason I get paid to go to the office. There's a reason we all get paid to go to the office. It's the meetings, the interactions with challenging coworkers. It's the people who don't show up. They call in sick. It's the people who are rude at work or constantly give us pushback. Those are the reasons that we have to be paid to come in. It's the uncomfortable meetings with our bosses about deadlines, about un- you know met expectations, Those are the reasons we have to get paid, right? And so we get to work after hurting everybody out of the house, after getting ourselves out of the house, dealing with traffic, and then we get to work and there's the stressors of work, right? When we get through all of those, by lunchtime, you're walking by the break room and especially in this season, right? We walk by the break room. It's the season of all the goodies in the break room and we see the things. So Check out Instagram, and I think it's on the Delane MD um, Facebook page too. I just posted, I walked by the break room. I was just stopped into the office for a brief moment a couple of days ago, and the break room was filled with the most amazing goodies. There was some brownie, chocolate iced brownie that had these beautiful little Christmas cre- trees and stars. They were so pretty. And then there were homemade chocolate peanut butter balls, and there was a chocolate frosted rice crispy treat and there was fudge and there was puppy chow which i don't know why we ever decided to call it puppy chow but here we are that's what we call it right there were all these delicious tasty looking treats when i walked by the break room it is no wonder that after all of the stress of the morning at lunchtime we're walking by the break room and we see these things And this is where the sneaky thoughts that hamstring us start to show up. Just one is okay. I wish I could have that. I know I'm not good at keeping my word, my promise about this food. I know I'm not good about keeping the promise and I'm not going to have it today. I can't be trusted. I know this thing is, this food thing is just going to pull at me until I eat it, until I give in right? We have those sneaky thoughts and those thoughts create feelings that make it make sense to eat the food, right? Just one is okay. Gives us this passive allowance, this feeling of passive allowance. Oh, that looks good. Gives us the feeling of desire and the urge to eat it. I wish I could just have a little bit. I wish I could have that. Creates a feeling of deprivation, I know I'm not good at keeping my promises to myself about this. That gives us this frustration feeling. I can't be trusted. We have doubt. I know this is going to pull at me until I just go ahead and eat it. It Gives us a feeling of futility, of helplessness, of hopelessness. This is kind of where it gets complicated to break down why we struggle to have our own back why we struggle to be trusted, why we struggle to keep that promise. I think there's a few things going on. One, we have a bunch of thoughts happening all at once. And again, this is where I'm just shocked at the innovation of our brain, of the human brain, at the creativity of the human brain to create reasons that seem plausible in order for us to not keep the promise to ourselves. Our brain creates these thoughts that seem reasonable, 
as to why we don't keep our promises to ourselves. Our brain also, or what's unique in these situations is they create different feelings and those feelings aren't universal. You know, for me, I can't be trusted creates a feeling of doubt, but some other people, it may create this feeling of frustration, right? Or even the futility. So the different feelings that are created are unique to us and they're unpleasant. Nobody loves feeling doubtful. Nobody loves feeling futile or hopeless. They feel uncomfortable. We want to avoid that feeling. And then the last thing that complicates this part of the experience in that moment, the last thing or one of the last things, I also think there's an urgency that feels uncomfortable that happens, but we've made a habit of managing these uncomfortable feelings with food. And typically nobody's eating carrot sticks because they feel hopeless. We're eating these foods that have this intense dopamine response. And that dopamine motivates us strongly to repeat that behavior when we have that feeling. Okay. So all of these things are going on in that moment. So I think it's important to recognize what a promise is. Because that's really the issue, right? Like I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to do this. And now in the moment when I walk by the break room, I'm shaking on that promise. I'm I'm wavering on that promise. I'm considering going back on that promise. So if you look up the definition of a promise, what is a promise? A promise is the declaration of assurance, right? A promise is the verbalization that you are going to do a thing. And so here's what's not mentioned in that declaration of assurance. There is something that is questionable, right? The result we are looking to be assured of is questionable. We aren't sure. There's uncertainty. The result could go one of many ways. There's many possibilities. No one is out there promising gravity. We know that's going to happen. That's like the physics of the world. Nobody out there is promising the sun's going to rise in the east. We know that's going to happen. That's the physics of the world. Those are not things we need to promise. We don't need to declare assurance of that, right? Because we're sure of it already. We make promises on things that have the possibility of going different ways, of different outcomes. We make a declaration about things that we aren't sure of. And that declaration is that we will do what is in our power to assure a certain outcome, right? Frequently doing what is in our power is uncomfortable. It's the hard thing. It's the difficult thing. You're not having to do what's in your power to make sure the sun rises in the east or gravity works because that's easy. Literally, the earth and physics takes care of it. We don't have to do anything with it. It's uncomfortable. It's the work of doing the thing that's in our power in order to create the outcome that we want. It's the making the hard decision, sometimes disappointing somebody in the process in order to create the outcome we've promised or assured ourselves or somebody else of, right? And the disappointment, the person we frequently are disappointing is ourselves, right? Like 
I'm having to disappoint myself in not having the food that tastes good. And I'm disappointed that I don't get that thing in this moment. But even when we're thinking about making a promise to somebody else, say you have promised your grandmother that you're going to hang out with her on Sunday and a friend calls you and says, hey, let's go out for brunch on Sunday. And you have made a declaration of assurance to your grandmother that you will be there to spend time with her on Sunday. In order to make that promise, you have to let your friend down or disappoint your friend that you're not going to be there or be available for lunch with them when they were hoping you would be. That's the disappointment, right? Like they're going to have to be disappointed. And the moment in a promise to herself, the person that is going to be disappointed is us, right? Like your friend isn't a bad person because she wants to do lunch with you. And you're not a bad person because you can't do lunch in that time frame because you've already made a commitment to your grandmother. You're not a bad person for keeping the commitment to your grandmother. In the moment when the Christmas tree brownie is waiting for you in the break room, you're not bad because you're not eating it, right? Like that's not like you're not faulty because you're not eating it, nor are you faulty because you want it. It's just the way that things have played out. And you have made a declaration of assurance that you're not going to do that. You've made a promise to yourself that you're not going to do that. You're going to keep your word to yourself and not eat that food because it creates disease in your body, right? This is what's involved in the promises to ourselves. We have to be willing to take the disappointment. We have to be willing to do what's in our power in order to create the outcome that we want, okay? This is where it gets interesting because our brain, in its infinitely innovative way, suddenly makes the promise we've made to ourselves seem irrelevant or impossible or not worth it. And we believe our brain in that moment and we don't do what's in our power. So here's the deal. So I frequently speak, well, I've spoken with my clients about this and I've spoken in the podcast about a future self and our current self, right? If we take the example of eating out with our friend at lunch, that's our current self or keeping our promise to our grandmother, that's our future self, right? In the moment when our friend calls us and we have to keep our promise to our grandma, we disappoint our friend, okay? In the moment when we have to make the decision to not have the tasty treat, we disappoint our current self. If we go to lunch with our friend and don't keep our promise to our grandmother, if we eat the tasty treat and don't keep the promise to ourselves, we disappoint grandma or our future self. So what I want to offer you is there is disappointment no matter. Like disappointment is going to be there no matter which outcome do you actually want. You're going to either be disappointed in the moment without the treat, or you're going to be disappointed in the future when you're still diabetic. Disappointment is going to be there no matter what is the one that you want. And that's where your brain making these like innovative, creative reasons for just making the promise we've made to ourselves seem irrelevant or impossible or not worth it. This is where our brain sacrifices what we want in the future for this instant gratification. 
and recognizing it's really like there's going to be disappointment no matter. So how do you want to move forward? Disappointing how badly, really, this is where it comes down. Disappointing ourselves right now because I want what's happening in the future more. Okay. So lots of times our brain makes the promise in the future, the promise to our future self seem irrelevant, even though we know we're going to come back and be very disappointed in ourselves. Like the instant gratification is going to last for tops a half an hour. That disappointment that you're still diabetic is going to last for days, weeks, months. Like it isn't in the moment that it's better. You're really like exchanging a instant gratification for a much more protracted, prolonged disappointment in the future. In the moment, our brain will tell us that there is no point in even trying. It's so hard. I can't do it. And so I always use two examples in the group. One seems a lot easier and one seems silly to me, but I still use it because I think it's really um, a powerful way to see that if we could do it. We do have the power, right? Our brain will tell us, right? That sneaky thought, like it's just going to stay here. I'm going to want the food until I just go ahead and eat it. And it's a very sneaky thought that our brain gives us. And it seems very hopeless and futile and helpless. So if there were a million dollars on the table, how long could you experience that desire for that brownie without eating it? Like how long could you do it? If you were paid a million dollars to never eat that brownie, how would you handle that desire, that thought? For me, I'd be like, brownie's off the table. I don't even want it anymore. I want a million dollars, right? And then the other more ridiculous example I use is very hyperbolic, very dramatic. But if there was a gun to your head to not eat the food, could you do it? And here's the interesting thing. The million dollars isn't really probably ever going to be there. The gun to your head creating death, the brownies actually will lead to probably to an early death for a diabetic. That's known. Like that's how that works. So if there was your life on the table to not eat the brownie, which is an extrapolated reality, right? Like if you extrapolate enough brownies, that is the reality that your life is on the line. So if that's the case, could you walk away from the brownie permanently? And if if your brain is like, yeah, million dollars, I'd totally not eat the brownie. Yeah, gun to my head, I would totally not eat the brownie. Then recognize you do have it in your power to not eat the brownie. That story that your brain's telling you that you're powerless over this is baloney. It's one of those creative, innovative ways that our brain cheats us out of what we want for our future self. So. The way to start working and start fixing this, if you're in a place where you're like, I can't even imagine, my brain just takes over and I eat the food. I don't even know what it's like to not do it. There are some steps you can walk through. So you are never going to figure it out as long as you continue to eat it. So step one is you're going to have to just stop eating the food long before you don't want the food. That is the process to figuring out how to not want the food is to stop eating the food. There's never going to be a time where you 100% don't want the food. There's always going to be both, even for me. And I definitely, I like, I mean, like I took pictures, I jokingly took pictures of the food 
so that I could have pictures of the ridiculous spread of the food and I didn't eat any of it. But it's not because I don't want the food. Yeah, those peanut butter chocolate balls looked amazing. They were homemade. I'm sure they were delicious. Absolutely, I wanted the food. There's never going to be a time where you 100% don't want the food. And if you wait for that, you're never going to get there. So step one is just not eating the food so that you can see what your brain is bringing up. Okay. Step two, slow it down. This pushes you on, right? Not eating the food allows you to slow it down so that you can see what your brain is giving you. And that is step three. Evaluate. Look at what your brain is telling you. You will feel urgency. That's all you're going to feel because that's all you're used to feeling. And you're going to expect, your body is going to expect that you meet that urgency with the food. And so it's going to be uncomfortable in that space. And it's going to take a lot of time feeling that urgency in order for you to be able to see the reasons that your brain is giving you, right? Evaluate them, like what's coming up. Your brain is just going to be like, eat the food, eat the food, eat the food. And it's going to feel urgent and you're going to feel desire. Allow that feeling to be there. I would get curious as to even what that feeling is like. Where are you feeling it? For me, I was in my shoulders. It's in my chest. It used to um, like radiate up to my throat. I'm going to have that urgency and that's okay. Take a deep breath. You can handle that feeling. It's not going to kill you. Literally, there is nothing about a vibration, a high frequency vibration in my chest and my shoulders that radiates to my throat that's going to kill me. Like I'm not going to die. Take a deep breath. This is what we're feeling. Why do I feel urgent? Well, I feel urgent because I'm afraid I won't be able to taste that tasty food. I'm going to feel urgent because I'm afraid it's not going to be there. I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to feel this urgency. I'm going to feel this feeling because I'm afraid that I'm going to have to sit with this feeling for a long time and it's going to be uncomfortable. Those are the thoughts in my brain, the innovative thoughts that have driven me in the past to keep eating the food. And then you get even more curious. It's like, oh, I deserve it. I've worked so hard. Then they, that's where the brain gets really innovative, right? Like, oh, I am owed this. I, I, you know, am deserving of it. You know, I've worked so hard. It's been a hard day. It was a hard morning. And then it gets even more innovative. Like, oh, I can just not eat my salad and I'll just have this and it'll be just the same, right? Like, but you can't get to those thoughts, that creativity of the brain without not eating the food. And so, again, that's where the promise comes in. If it were easy to not eat the food, you wouldn't need to make a promise to yourself, okay? Of course, this is kind of where coaching comes us. This is what we work on in coaching. You don't need me to tell you that the chocolate brownie and the peanut butter chocolate bowl are the problem. You know that. I can help you with food plans, absolutely. I can evaluate what you eat and tell you where to make some changes based on science or tell you the science so you can decide what changes you want to make. Yes. People don't, that is not like, that's not the helpful part of coaching. Coaching is helpful because we unpack these thoughts in our brain. We evaluate them and then we see what else is true. The questions I like to ask, is this the only true? 
story? Is this the only true thing about the food, right? Like in the moment, I might not be able to eat it and it's going to taste so good and I'm going to miss out. Is that the only thing that's true? No, I'm not going to be able to eat it and I'm going to miss out on having high blood sugars and high insulin levels that are making me sick. That's also what I'm going to miss out on. That's also very true. And that's what I actually want. Okay. So I would, this is the season where you get the opportunity to practice and pause and do this over and over and over again. See what thoughts your brain is bringing up for you. Question them, evaluate them. If this is the work you need to do, there is help. This is what my program helps people do. Send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. I am happy to help you out in any way. I'm happy to talk to you, you know, meet for a consult. You'll find out how the program works and you can get the help to finally put this diabetes thing behind you. I hope that's been helpful. I will be back next week, hopefully with the Apple uh, posting issue figured out. So if you have any questions, if you have any comments, don't hesitate to send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.